In the words of public enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. the fifth home podcast network i am charlie taylor and this is what's good welcome back ladies and gentlemen hope everybody's had a great week it's been a it's been a lot going down this week it's been a it's been a lot it's been a a lot of stuff happening Uh, a lot of stuff um just going on all around the world Uh, so with that said got a stag show coming Uh, i've got about um i've got a full a, a full, a full page, you know, a full, a full itinerary here. I've got four. There will be no film and TV. I actually have two sports um, uh, articles here to talk about. Two sports segments, so that'll be something different. Little, little, uh, little, little switch up for me. Um, as pertains to my week, yes, yeah, been right. You know, I'm, I've currently got this. Uh, you know, when you have a, you know, you know, when your one of your fingers like hurts when you bend it, and it's like at the base of it. I, I don't know. I, I must have slept on it or, or something, but it's, I feel like a I feel like a thickness on my ring finger. It just feels it just feels a bit weird. But other than that, it's okay. You know, I'm good. Uh, you know, just, just keep just keep doing my things, isn't it? Just, <laughs> I, I, I really have. I really you know calibrate where I'm. You know how I'm feeling or anything like that. Most of the time, so I'm just. I usually just if I'm good, I'm good. If I'm not, I'm not. And I just. I just. And if I'm not, then. I'll try and sort it out, but anyway, that's how I do it. Uh, formalities before we begin, before we, before we begin, email, Twitter, Facebook, it's all there in the description, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you very much for listening. If you could share the show, that'll be great. If you can comment on the show, that'll be great. Any contact of any form will be great. Let's get into the show. So, in a week where... I've actually, I actually put one because I've, I've actually been kind of lazy on that front. Uh, the Observer reported that black people were forty times more likely to be stopped and searched in the UK. I mean, that, that, that's that's not that's not anything new, is it? Let's, let's be real. We 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 knew that was a thing. But now we shall start with the life segment, and I think the only thing I felt like talking about there, there were a lot of there actually were a lot of things I could have talked about this week, but I decided to talk about uh, Facebook banning uh, several several people off Facebook and Instagram because obviously Facebook owns Instagram now. They kicked a lot of they kicked a lot of uh, notable figures off there, um, and it's kind of it's been it's been kind of coming, you know. It's it's been kind of uh, one of those things that either had to happen or. Well, yeah, it was kind of a matter of time, to be honest. But it's been a lot of thumb twiddling on that front because obviously it's just this is this case of you know freedom of speech and all of that is kind of it's always it's always a murky area. So let's get into it anyway. This is via Vox Recode. Uh, Facebook bans Alex Jones in for wars. Louis, Louis Farrakhan and others it deems dangerous. Quote unquote. So, a month after he was kicked off Twitter, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, Alex Jones is off Facebook and Instagram too. So are a host of other right-wing extremists and Louis Farrakhan, a nation of Islam leader who has espoused anti-Semitic views. Views. Facebook on Thursday announced that it was banning Jones, Farrakhan, Paul Nellen, Milo Yiannopoulos, 
Paul Joseph Watson, Laura Luma, and Infowars, which Jones runs, from both its platform and Instagram, which it owns. The company says the decision has been made under its policies against dangerous individuals and organisations. This is a big move for Facebook, which, like many social media companies, have been criticised for a lax oversight of individuals and groups that spread hateful messages and vitriol across its platforms, but has thus far attempted to toe an awkward line on the matter, while civil rights groups and democratic lawmakers have been pushing them to clean up their platform, Conservatives have been eager to pounce on the Menlo Park, California-based uh, company, which claims of bias each time they do so. Quote, We've always been banned individuals, organizations that promotes or engage in violence and hate regardless of ideology, a Facebook spokesperson said in a statement. The process for evaluating potential violators is extensive, and it is what led us to our decision to remove these accounts today. Nellen is a white supremacist who ran an unsuccessful primary challenge for then House Speaker Paul Ryan's congress- congressional seat in Wisconsin in 2016 and 18. Yiannopoulos is a far-right provocateur, Watson is a far-right YouTube personality, and Luma is an activist who is op- often considered to be part of the alt-right but rejects the characterization over anti-Semitism. Being banned from social media isn't a new development for some of these figures. Jones and Infowars, for example, were permanently banned from Twitter in September. Luma was kicked off Twitter for a criticism of newly elected rep- uh, representative Ilhan Omar and her Muslim faith in November. She subsequently handcuffed herself to the front doors of Twitter's New York office in protest of decision. None of the people listed will be allowed on Facebook and Instagram. Additionally, Facebook will remove any pages, groups and accounts set up to represent them and Facebook events where they are participating. Users will be will still be able to praise them on Facebook and Instagram and share content related to them. Uh, let me go down uh, go down more on the uh, article itself because they have a couple of um, they have a couple of subheadings here which I want uh, a subheading here that I wanted to get into. This is probably a good step for Facebook and one that is likely likely to face blowback. Facebook decisions. Uh, Facebook's decision is likely a positive development and a sign it's taking the potential real-world consequences of the content it hosts seriously. But the social media giant has still uh, still has a long way to go with reckoning with the ways it shaped the world we live in. Facebook and the platform it owns, which including Instagram and WhatsApp, are often weaponized as for fo- as forums for spreading information, misinformation, and hate and inciting violence all over the globe. But Facebook will also have to deal with criticism from conservatives that they're being unfairly targeted yet again, since most of the people banned on Thursday are part of the far right. Now, there's no, there's not many, there's not much comment on Farrakhan, which I actually wanted to touch upon real quickly, because obviously Farrakhan is much more. You know, just um, see, see, this is it. You you say you're gonna. If I say different, then you know why would face? Then you'd ask, like, why would Facebook target Farrakhan? And you know, honestly, the the answer is I know. Whether I agree with it or not is a different story. But (coughs) Farrakhan is an interesting case study in this fact because. You know, when it comes to Alex Jones, Paul Joseph Watson, and all those lot, I, mean, I think it's kind of easy. It's very easy to, you know, say, well, yeah, they're they're nut jobs. They're, you know, they spread misinformation. They bullshit a lot. You know, it's just it's just how it is. You know, if you want to go down that freedom of speech argument, then you can if you want to, but I won't because I don't consider them. I don't go. I don't consider them. <laughs> 
they can say what they want, you know what I mean? They can say what they want on regardless of what platform. Um, but this is a, this is the thing, isn't it? Facebook being holy, uh, Facebook being holy in the now here. Our Facebook, you know, blocking the right to freedom of speech. Our Facebook, you know, more powerful than some governments. And that is a genuine question that people have asked, you know, especially in the past couple of years with all the, you know, privacy hacking and all that and all that stuff and the the the, the lack of um, uh, what's the word. The, the 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 lack of energy Facebook has you know seemingly put into you know privacy and you know giving everyone the opportunity to you know not share information you know the option of that so there is there is several you know levels to this as it pertains to you know Facebook and then it, and then it goes to the right wing nut jobs you know should they have a platform do they deserve a platform na 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 and then, you know, again, Louis Farrakhan is actually a very, very interesting case study because obviously he's not a right-wing nut job compared to these lot, but he is a person that is of, what's the word? He is in a lot of conversations <laughs> as it pertains to, you know, uh, obviously Islam and, you know, religion and race. He talks about race, obviously, a lot as a Nation of Islam member. Uh, well, ambassador, I think is the word. But he also has the anti-Semitic views, which I have seen. I have seen some videos of him, you know, referencing them to vermin. And, you know, it's legit. It's, <laughs> they, he's legit said that kind of stuff. It's legit anti-Semitic views. It's not, you know, there's no bones about it. It's fact. It's, it's, it's right there. If you want to look it up, you can go look it up if you want. It's public knowledge. Um, he has posed those you know, views, and I'm not, I'm not educated enough in the nation of Islam, and Islam in general, and, you know, and also black history in general, to be completely honest, I will be, I will be real with you, and this front, I'm not exactly educated on it, but regardless of that, it's kind of why I do, it's kind of why I find it an interesting case study, because I don't know, you know, straight up what Farrakhan is about, you know, I know the, I know the you know, surface of it, but obviously he says these things for a reason, so I kind of just, I'm always interested in knowing how, knowing how they got to this position, and actually, you know, Snoop Dogg actually came up on Instagram saying, fuck Facebook, and, you know, ban me, ban me, you know, why why are you banning Farrakhan, you know, legit support of him, and that's fine, you know, it's, it's fine, I understand it. As you know, as I understand, there there are people that support Infowars and Paul's Joseph Watson and all those people. You know, they're all they're all this, everyone has their supporters in the in this arena of freedom of speech and all this stuff and you know conspiracies and uh, at the end of the day, they're all opinions. These are all opinions, and that's that's uh, that's kind of where I come to it. You know, I'm not I'm not head of Facebook. I don't have the I don't have this power to you know, shut people up, because this is basically what it is, you can say it as simply as that, this is basically shutting people up and, you know, putting tape over, tape over their mouth, um, so, you know, I'm not, I've never been in that position to, you know, widespreadly shut down someone's message, and I am of a per, I am a person that values a a message and an opinion, I kind of, you know, I try and, I try and value all opinions, regardless if they're, you know, once, once, once it gets to the point of, 
you know, repeating yourself or there's no facts to back up your point or no verification behind them, that's when I start going, okay, yeah, okay, you, yeah, you can stop now. You, you can stop. There's no, there's nothing there. You know, there's no, that's, that's basically where I get to where it's like, okay, I've understood your point. I've heard it. I've, I've, I've read it up on it. You know, I don't get it. And I don't, I don't agree with it, or don't understand it, or, well, I do understand it, but I don't agree with it. And the fact that you keep repeating it, just it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. So, no point saying it anymore. So, you know, this is a very, this is a very large issue that can, you know, can't be squeezed into 12, 12 13 minutes, which I'm trying, which I've tried to do, but. It always is. Uh, it always is something worth, uh, worth, worth thinking about because you know the longer we go into this age, this digital age, and social media, and you know everyone has an opinion and everyone has a keyboard to to type what they want. You know, everyone's a writer, everyone's a journalist. You know, stuff like that. It, well, everyone can be these if they wanted to. You know, everyone has this possibility, and because of that, that's going to keep growing, and. It's these, these are these are those landmark moments where it's relevant, and you know you may not find this relevant to you, but if you have something you're passionate about, and it might be radical, or just you know plain wrong, <laughs> if if it's like that, then you might come across this, and you know you might not care now. But you might care in five five years or so, or ten years or so, if, if there may be a political issue that you think is relevant. They might, they might, they might come up. They might, you know, they might come up into freedom of speech conversations, and or or just you know how you feel. People are trying to shut me up. This is how I feel, though. No, no. So you know, you may not care now, but at some point there might be someone next to you, there might be someone close to you, or it might be you yourself that might have something, opinion, or a thought, or a, or a cause that you think is important, and people are trying to show you up, so, you know, this is kind of, a, this affects us all in a way, obviously not um, in a um, first person way, but second hand, it might come through, you never know, so, I want to get into sports, and I've got two here, and uh, one's kind of one's kind of a, a learning thing, you know. Well, I'm kind of well, I'm trying to you know understand and well not understand, but um, just trying to hear someone else's story on so on a, on a certain topic. But this one's about this one's about uh, Barry Hearn, which is uh, who is a um, you know a, a, a you know boxing promoter. He's found CEO of Matrim Sport. You know, he's a big man in the in the in the sports game. You know, especially in boxing. And I think he, I think he owns PDC. I'm not, I'm not really sure. He has a, he has a relationship with PDC, the Professional Dust Corporation. So I'm, I'm, so I'm wondering where he, where he is on that one. Let me actually look it up right quick because um, I really want to, I really want to know how he's a, uh, yeah, he's the chairperson. He's the chairperson of PDC. So you know, he basically owns Darts as well. So there's that too. But he was recently, uh, there, there was recent, there was recent comments that I saw that I came across. This is a this is earlier this is the start of May. This is by William C. Roden of the Undefeated. And the title simply is We Were Slave Traders. And you know, that kind of catches you, so <laughs> you know, that kind of title catches you. So I was like, Okay, tell me more <laughs> and I, and I and I went to look it up. So this is basically about Barry Hearn and uh 
you know the attitude of a of an owner or, or an agent or something like that. So let's get into it. Uh, not a day goes by that the convergence of racism in sports is not not thrown into our faces. Sometimes with with uh, so with venom, often out of fear, many times mindlessly. On Monday afternoon, London boxer promoter Barry Hearn, founder CEO of Matrim Sport, drew a parallel between boxing and slavery, as he discussed a fight between Dillian White, who's black, and Oscar Rivas. Referring to White's limited contractual ties with Matchroom, Hearn said, quote, He's not tied up with, like the slave contracts of yesteryear. When I was running boxing, it was much easier. We were slave traders. We had these guys, and they were working for us, and we was the boss. The pendulum has swung. Now I have to say Mr. Dillian White, unquote. Mr. Indeed. Then there is the callous sensitivity of the morally bankrupt who will do anything to get ahead and stay ahead. On April 27th, President Donald Trump marched into the sports arena again when he reached out via social media and tweeted his congratula- congratulations to Ohio State's Nick Bosa for being the second overall pick in the NFL draft. Normally, a president, especially one obsessed with being perceived as a winner, would call the winner the number one pick in the draft to offer congratulations. Trump did not publicly congratulate the African-American quarterback Kyler Murray, taken by Arizona as the top selection. Instead, the president chose to play political football by congratulating Bosa, a fervent Trump supporter whose taste seemed consistent uh, with the president's base. In the days before the NFL draft, Bosa was forced to remove several questionable tweets and racially sensitive content from his social media posts. Among other things, Bosa described Black Panther as the worst Marvel movie and Beyonce's music as trash, and called Colin Kaepernick the former San Francisco San Francisco 49ers quarterback, a clown. According to news reports, the Ohio State All-American has been criticised for liking several Instagram posts with racist and anti-gay slurs. In subsequent media interviews, Bosa was predictably contrite and apologetic. When pressed about his social media indiscretions, Bosa suggested that the media blame it on the youth, on his youth, sorry. Youth was no excuse for Bob Arum last week. The 87-year-old promoter told reporters that the reason he was having difficulty making high-caliber fights, especially with black fighters, was manager Al Heyman, uh, who manages a group of outstanding high-profile fighters. Arum's once, uh, once formidable group of fighters have been depleted, and his attempts to make top fights have been frustrated by Heyman, who is black. Arum claims that Heyman, who long ago eclipsed Arum as as a power broker in the business of boxing, is telling his mostly black fighters to stay away from white promoters. As he addressed the reporters, Aram imagined a con- conversation between unbeaten fighter Errol Spence Jr. and Heyman, with Heyman saying, quote, Spence, listen to me. Don't listen to the white guys, because if you listen to the white guys, they'll, they're going to steer you down the road. Listen to me, brother, we're part of a brotherhood. And if I'm telling you not to fight Crawford, I'm telling you not to fight Crawford, unquote. If only it, for, if it, were, if only it were that simple. Black power brokers like Heyman having the muscle to direct black athletes to buy black. And black athletes having the consciousness to listen. If that were the case, there would be more Colin Kaepernick's and more black athletes standing behind him. If that were the case, and black consciousness were in vogue, Zion Williamson would have attended North Carolina Central instead of Duke. Cole Anthony, who recently committed to the University of North Carolina, would have shot the universe by announcing he and four black high school Americans would attend a historically black Texas Southern University. That type of game-changing sacrifice and thinking is not yet a consistent part of the contemporary black athlete's consciousness. 
There is, however, an emboldened white consciousness, one that seems oblivious to the white uh, to the past, and haunted by a misguided idea that black gain means white loss. This is an atmosphere that encourages a boxing promoter like Hearn to admit he was a one-time slave trader, quote unquote, in the business of boxing. An atmosphere which, in an Aram, uh, which in an Aram feels threatened, feels threatened by a black power broker who tells his clients to buy black. An atmosphere in which the president's uh, Assauges, Assauges, A S A S S A U A G E S, Assauges, Assages, Assauges. I don't know. So actually, that's an interesting word. I need to look that up. The insecurities of his base by reaching over a young black man who finished first to shake hands with a young white man who finished second. Not a day goes by in this America that the convergence of racism and sports is not thrown in our faces. Now this is a very you know. Um, this is a very prose kind of uh, article where you know it's just it's just uh, picking picking at certain you know recent stories and just clustering all together to form a wider you know poeticism to it. And I actually enjoyed I actually enjoy that kind of thing where uh, you know it's, it's you know it's kind of it's it's creative it's creative writing. I like I I kind of enjoy that kind of thing. Um, this is a kind of it's kind of interesting, and there's always something that I kind of uh, have have kind of been intrigued by, where there are, you know, increasingly, you know, not substantially, but you know, the numbers increasing in terms of, um, you know, black athletes trying to, you know, use their power and their currency, which is their body. Let's be real; their currency is their body, um, to make big decisions and you know it's all well and fine for most people when it comes to you know for like for the for example the NBA right so the free agency is obviously coming at the end of the season July 1st that's when it's coming uh, after all the season ends you know currently the playoffs right now and everyone's talking about well there are a lot of free agents coming through so they're talking about Kawhi Leonard Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to, to name a couple now these three are more, you know, more the the higher echelon of importance, simply because they're obviously game changers in basketball. They're game changers as as players. Kevin Durant is, you know, one of if the not if not the best player in the NBA right now. Kyrie Irving's one of the best ball handlers in the game and one of the most clutch players in the game. Even though I don't rate him as a leader, anyway. Um, and Kawhi Leonard's, you know. A playoff beast. <laughs> when it comes to the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard is the guy you want because he just takes over games, and he gets you at least three dubs, you know, in a, in a series. So that's valuable. So when it comes to that, they have the power. They have the power as them as those three players to completely shift the power of who is the best, who are the best teams in the league. You know, LeBron James also has his power where, you know, the two times he's left Cleveland, Cleveland have absolutely plummeted the next season. You know, I think that's the same number in it as well. I think it's always, they won like 16 games this year, and he won 16 games last time. I think it's 16. Uh, they won that many, uh, the same amount of games the, the first time he left, left for Miami, which is, you know, amazing. Just thinking of how one player can take someone, take a team to the finals, to the NBA finals, and then they plummet down to the first pick in the draft. That is absurd. They go from the best best team in the uh, in in the organization in the association to the worst. That's power right there. That is power. 
but that's that abs. That's that um, you know, that's um. I don't know how to phrase it. That's that like kind of uh, the in sport power, where you know it's part of the show. You know, it's, it's you know if if WWE for example, obviously that's very you know entertainment scripted entertainment kind of thing. You know when a when a fighter leaves Raw for SmackDown, you know they're doing that for the, the that's that's in show. That's to make the show more interesting. You know, and this is in in a similar vein. This is obviously more about business when it comes to NBA. But obviously, they leave and look, join a team, and the team behind and the team they just left plummets. If that happens, that's part of the that's part of the show. But obviously, there's more of a business element entitled to it, which is why people are fine with it because it's part of the ecosystem of the NBA. Now. As it pertains to boxing, which is obviously more of a, you know, an out-and-out business, an out-and-out power thing, you know, the entertainment doesn't really matter until the actual fight itself. There's also the whole year of promotion and, get you know, goading people to watch the fight, yada, yada. You know, the fight's kind of, kind, kind of takes the back seat sometimes, so... You know, peep any Floyd Mayweather fight. There, there you go. There's an example. Peep any Floyd fight. You know, it's it's all about the show before the fight. It's all about before the fight, and that's where the that's where the business lies. So when you get to power brokers like Aram, uh, and then you know, and then there's Heyman, who is a black power broker and is actually more powerful than Bob. Ar- uh, is it Bob Aram? Uh, I forgot his name. Aram. Anyway, that will piss people off. You know, and obviously boxing's a, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, more of a white sport. You know, there are black athletes, but you really, th- you really think about a black promoter or a, you know, a black manager or, you know, a head of an organization who is black. You never, you never, you never think about that, you know, consciously. So now that it's gotten to that, you know, people are forcing to take Heyman seriously because he's telling Errol Spence not to take this fight because you know some some what if you side with these white dudes and they're gonna they're gonna snake you. This is kind of a ongoing thing socially and also economically where you know and I kind of I want to reference uh, Trigger Warning with Killer Mike who did an episode the first episode I think was about buying black and. You know, it's easy to buy white, it's easy to buy Asian, uh, more than black, uh, black money. By by buying, just to just to be clear, by when I mean buying black, and when they mean buying black, they mean, you know, buying from, you know, me, for example, me as a black person, going to, to a black uh, vendor of this thing that they're selling, and using my money to give it to them. That's buy black. That's what they mean by black. Obviously, majority of everything is buying white. You know, if I buy an Adidas shirt, that's buying white. If I if I if I go to uh, if I go to McDonald's, I buy, I'm buying white technically. You know what I mean? So obviously, we don't think about it like this consciously all the time, but it is something that is there. It's something that is there, and you know, I've tried to, I've tried to personally, you know, um, in terms of. You know, use my money for stuff. Trying to buy, you know, a black-owned business business uh, from from uh, you know all my all the logo, the logo you see on your phone or whatever right now was made by a Nigerian uh, graphic designer. Uh, the one for digging the digits was also made by a Nigerian designer. So that's buying black. That's that's what buying black is. You know, I'm I'm 
I'm looking. I didn't actively look for them, by the way. You know, that was actually just kind of, uh, you know, just where they were from. They're just from Nigeria. I didn't, you know, I just looked for. I just typed up logo podcast logo design, and they were the first ones that came up. So you know, that's just how it goes. So what you're looking at, that my logo for what's good, the, obviously the logo for digging in digits. Those are bought black technically. Um, and now it's come to this point where you know. Yeah, the the what, what was that? What was that line? What was that line at the, near the end? Where it was like, um, yeah, uh, oblivious to the past and haunted by a misguided idea that black gain means white loss. Black gain does never ever mean white loss. Okay, it never means that. It's a, you know it's the same thing when you know you say, oh there's there's so many there's so many mixed race people now. You know what I mean? This is you know the white demographic is going down. And, you know, people, some, 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 some white people, you know, are having a panic about that. <laughs> oh, no, there's white people, you know, and that's, that's why, and that's how, you know, and, you know, linking it to politics, you know, e- the EU leaving was made, was, you know, that was fear-mongering. You know, the Leave campaign was made out of fear, you know. It was made out of the fears of white people that, you know, all the immigrants are coming over, taking our jobs, uh, 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 they're impregnating our daughters, uh, you know, that's that's what it was, you know, in a nutshell, that's what it was about, it's about fear, it's, a, you know, um, from a fundamental standpoint, and also, you know, when you look at it economically, it will be like that as well, where, you know, it's, I'm, where, you know, someone buys from a black vendor, and they're like, oh, no, they're not taking this white vendor. He's gonna go out of business. It's 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 that it's that it's that fear that it's it's that fear that drives a lot of not you know I don't want to I'm not putting white people in monolith. Of course I'm not. Obviously I'm never I never do that. But this is some of the this is some of where the fear, the fear roots where you know they consider this you know economically an uprising you know it's a, oh no i can't get i can't i don't have as much power as i thought hey the black person has power now how did that work he took my power that's basically how they come to that conclusion you know and this black power uh black power gain plus white person loss means they stole it that's that's kind of how people that's kind of where some white people come to the conclusion and obviously it's stupid it's stupid but um yeah it's a it's a very fascinating article and uh william c Rowan is actually fascinating uh you know he's a sports columnist and he's also an author so if you want to check him out it's actually very fascinating right so uh please check him out and for the second part of my sports foray i want to talk about ramadan um because you know i'm i'm not i'm not I'm not a Muslim in any fashion. I'm not religious in any way. But you know, Ramadan's come come round. It's uh, we're currently in we're currently in the Ramadan phase, and I saw a story uh, via uh, the um, via the undefeated. This is actually this is actually posted last year, but um, I just find I just found it really fascinating from a story standpoint, just uh, of how you know how it in- interconnects with Ramadan and sports. I just like that connectivity. I like that. You know, you might learn something about Ramadan. You never know but by reading this. But um, this is by Monis Khan again of the undefeated. Um, it's about Hakeem Olajuwon, um, NBA player from the nineties. <coughs> uh, five most impressive Ramadan performances. So this is about Hakeem Olajuwon and who is you know he is a 
Um, if you don't know him, he is a basketball player. He was a centre for mainly the Houston Rockets most of his years. Won a couple of championships. Um, you know, one of the greatest you know post move players in the game, and also Muslim. And during his you know uh, during his career, he participated in Ramadan. <coughs> Excuse me. He participated in Ramadan. Uh, while he was playing in the playoffs, so um, this is basically a story about that and uh, his performances during those. So this is by Moniz Khan. Getting into it now. Uh, when sunset strikes all around the world, uh, Muslims are dunking samosas in chutney like a Gianna sentence. Kumpo posterizing Aaron Baines. In fact, during this holy uh, this year's holy month of Ramadan, uh, when Muslims abstain from food and drink from sunrise to sunset, fasts are being broken and thirst quenched just in time for the Splash Brothers to tantalise us, tantalise us with how wet they are. Despite the challenge of fasting this year during some of the longest days of summer, Ramadan continues to be a festive time for Muslims who sacrifice their appetites in hopes of becoming closer to the divine. Just as Stephen Curry battles through a knee injury to achieve his ultimate goal for another NBA championship, so too are Muslims pushing through this trying month. For many Muslim fans in the NBA, Ramadan is also a reminder of when their two worlds collided in the shape of Hall of Famer Hakeem Olajuwon. In the mid-1990s, Muslim, Muslims in America were misunderstood in, in much the same way they are today. Conflated in popular imagination with terrorists rather than seen as ordinary American citizens. But then Olajuwon challenged himself to observe fast while playing during the month of Ramadan. And raised awareness of another aspect of what a Muslim could be. He wasn't just the dream. To many Muslim Americans, he was the epitome of the American dream. A larger one told the undefeated Mark, Spear, Mark J. Spears last year, quote, As for fasting, it is a spiritual mindset that gives you the stamina required to play. Though Allah's mercy, I, through Allah's mercy, I, I always felt stronger and more energetic during Ramadan, unquote. Even his former teammates marveled at a larger one's ability to play during the month. Quote, there are 48 minutes to a game, and for you to be to play 42 minutes of that 48 and not even be able to take a sip of water, that is just phenomenal, Robert Horry once said. But one, but the story of Elijah One's greatness during Ramadan may not be so simple. A closer look through the archives of the Houston Chronicle shows that Elijah One's observance of Ramadan evolved during his time in the league. During Ramadan in ni- March 1992, Elijah One was sidelined for being, quote, embroiled in hostilities with the Rockets. Things are so bad between the team and their star player that that season, he at one point demanded a trade. At the time, Olajuwon was not fasting on game days, so he was grateful for the opportunity to compete his to, sorry, to complete his fast, despite being suspended from the team. They have suspended me, so I'm not making any money, but fasting is priceless. Islam's uh, lunar calendar means Ramadan shifts about uh, shifts up about 11 days every year. This year it takes place through May and June, whereas a large one plays the ho- played the holy month took play took place between March early on in his career and November by the end of his career. When a large one began fasting for Ramadan during the 1993 season, he told reporters, "Quote: I cannot do it on game days, so what I have to do is make up for the days I miss after the season." A larger one's decision to not fast during the game days during game days in his career was not an abdication of his religious responsibility, as Muslims who are travelling, as a larger one often was, can choose to make up their fast at a later time. But a larger one's perspective on fasting shifted a, after a conversation with fellow Muslim NBA star Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. 
Lajuan recalled the conversation with Abdul Rauf uh, to the Chronicles Michael Murphy, quote, We were discussing one day the excitement and the motivation to go all the way, unquote. When you are on the road, you are allowed to make it up, but to go all the way instead of delaying it, uh, delaying it to make up is exciting. So, beginning February 1995, a large one began fasting during game days. Incredibly, he was named NBA Player of the Month that month. He also fasted on game days during the Holy Month 96 and 97. A large one missed the Ramadan, uh, Ramadan in 98 while recovering from a knee injury, and the lockout shortened season in 99 did not have any games during Ramadan. In 1999, Olajuwon did not return to the Rockets lineup after, until after Ramadan ended because of an injury. In 2000, Olajuwon was playing significantly fewer minutes than his prime, but he did fast during the, his last season with the Rockets. He also observed Ramadan during fo- the following year while playing limited minutes with the Toronto Raptors. But not all, the, uh, but not all of Olajuwon's performances while fasting were created equal. Most of the games in which a large one observed the fast tipped off, uh, the fast tipped off after sunset, when he was allowed to break the fast, which meant that du- at least during the game he could drink water and have a light snack if necessary. With less food in his body, he claimed he would experience less back pain, and rather than spending the day leading up to road games ordering room service, a large one felt lighter and more energetic after a small snack to break the fast before tip off uh, those night games. He once told the LA Times that the NBA stars should try to try it. If they only knew, he says, they would be fasting. Last summer, Celtic star Jalen Brown, who declined to share what religion he identifies with, seemed to take his advice. Spiritually centered and sufficiently nourished, a large one feasted on opposing teams. And <laughs> I like how they like how they did that. Feasted on opposing teams that night after breaking his fast during the three Ramadans he observed between 95 and 97. For example, after his first ga- game day fast on February 2nd, 95, a large one dropped 41 points in a win over the Utah Jazz. On January 30th, 97, a large one tallied 48 points, 10 rebounds, while playing 46 minutes in a close loss to the Denver Nuggets. When asked about how fasting on game days affected his performance, a large one told the Houston Chronicle near the end of Ramadan 95, but really, it doesn't affect me except on game days. That wasn't modesty. Indeed, his most impressive Ramadan performances were the handful of times he had to play in nationally televised games on Sunday afternoon while fasting. Playing against Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley and David Robertson already posed enough of the challenge. But Lajuan went head-to-head against his generation's greatest players without even opportunity to hydrate until hours after the final buzzer. A larger one was not superhuman while batting in the league's best under these conditions, going 2-3 and three in the five Sunday afternoon games he played while fasting in his prime, but his resilience and determination did show millions of fans, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, just how a superhuman can be. The article also goes into uh, his top five performances during Ramadan, I won't get into that, but that is just... So, you know, for though, you know, if you've, you know, done sport in any, or any you know, act, active activity in any fashion, you know, walking, running, you know, jogging, whatever, swimming, you, you, you're going to sweat. <laughs> if you're doing it properly, you're going to sweat. So to think that he did not hydrate is actually absurd. Like, how did he not pass out from the dehydration? That is my question. 
you know, you, you, can, you can give me religious thoughts if you want, and that's fine if you do, but just thinking about that is actually, actually crazy to think about. I need to drink constantly, and I don't, and you know, I'm not the most active person these days anyway. You know, I'm not as active as I used to be, so, you know, I just, I just keep hydrated because I feel like I need to, you know, I mean, everyone needs to keep hydrated, but doing, doing world-class basketball against other world-class players during Ramadan and not drinking, no, that's, (laughs) you, you, you could give me the, you can give me that challenge if you want, I ain't going for it. And uh, I I found it quite interesting. There was that little Jason Tatum bit where he, where he like you know, did he did he do it? Did he not hydrate? Or you know I want to know what he did then honestly because obviously he didn't say what um religion excuse me he identified with but um clearly clearly it's something in you know that vein where you know there's there's some sort of fasting maybe Buddhism you never know, I don't know maybe maybe it's something like that but I just uh, yeah I was just. That 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 read that is a that is a lot of respect for Hakeem Olajuwon there. Big respect on that because that is something you know. And we the, the kind of hinted at it, you know, saying that is the epitome of the American dream. That is a kind of a that's kind of a you know. I'm not obviously I'm not Muslim. I'm not religious. I said, um, but I can see if someone was Muslim and. Heard that and read about that. That is an inspirational thing. That is a truly inspirational thing. And you know, it's kind of like if 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 Hakeem could do it during NBA games, then you can do it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of that's kind of a that's kind of, that's kind of cool thinking thinking about. You know, just uh, just from a spiritual perspective. You know, just because that's all it's about, right? You know, I'm not. Tell me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> isn't that what it's all about? Uh, you know, just trying to get closer to the divine and all that. You know, just you know, trying, trying to, trying to get closer, trying to get closer. You know, stuff like that. And you know, you you can tell I'm no, I'm not educated in this at all. <laughs> I need to I need to get a mate. I need to get a religious mate on here just to just to just to chat about it because I do I do find this stuff kind of fascinating, even though I'm not I don't partake in it. But I do. It is something interesting, and just that story alone is just an amazing story to think about. Just how dudes just. You know, considered not doing it and didn't do it for a couple of years, and then you know, once, once you had that chat with uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, just uh, was just, yeah, let's do it, screw it, you know, walk it. Well, you know, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a jump, that's a leap that I can relate to. I I, I can relate to that kind of that kind of thing, where you know, you can't. It could be. It could have. It could have easily gone downhill. He could have just. You know, he could have been weak as weak as hell. You know, he could have collapsed on on the floor. You know, he could have collapsed during the game from lack of, lack of hydration. He could have done that, but he didn't. So that's that's some, yeah, that's some superhuman stuff. And uh, so we end the show and uh, on the on the last uh, topic, which is music. And this is this is a rage. This is a, this is going to be a rage. This is a rage because um, you know I saw this article. Uh, I saw this article shared by a friend, and um, I just I I just hate it. I just, I just hate it. I hate this. I hate this product with a passion. I hate everything about it. I hate the symbolism of it. I just hate it in every in every fiber of my being. So this is via Vice. Uh, this is actually um, a part of a Future Relics column uh, uh, by Vice. So uh, it's by Caroline Haskins, 
and it's called AirPods are a tragedy. So let's get into it. AirPods are a product of the past. And this is um, just actually let me go through what the economy is, just so you know you get the context of what this, is, what how they, why they're talking about it like this. Future relics is a column about objects that our society is currently making. Uh, and how they may explain our lives to future generations. In each article, we'll focus on one item that could conceivably be discovered by someone a thousand years from now and try to explain where this item came from, where it's going, and what its existence explains about our current moment. So, just for context, that's why they're going to talk about it in such a weird way. Uh, just so you know, just to give you a heads up on that. So, let's get into it now. AirPods are a product of the past. They're plastic, made of some combination of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, chlorine, and sulfur. Sulfur. They're tungsten, tin, tantalum, lithium, and cobalt. The particles that make up these elements were created 13.8 billion years ago during the Big Bang. Humans extract these elements from the Earth, heat them, refine them. As they work, humans breathe in airborne particles which deposit in their lungs. The materials are shipped... <laughs> <laughs> the materials are shipped from places like Vietnam, South Africa, Kazakhstan, Peru, Mexico, Indonesia, and India to factories in China. A literal sea of workers creates four uh, creates four tiny computing chips and assembles them into a logic board. Sensors, microphones, grills, and an antenna are glued together and packaged into a white, strange-looking plastic exoskeleton. These are AirPods. They are a collection of atoms born at the dawn of the universe churned beneath the surface of the earth and condensed in an anthro anthropogenic love that word uh, parallel to the big crunch a proposed version of the death uh, of the universe where where all matter shrinks and condenses together workers are paid unlivable wages in more than a dozen countries to make this product possible then it's sold by apple the world's first trillion dollar company for 159 dollars for roughly 18 months AirPods play music or podcasts or make phone calls. Then the lithium-ion batteries will stop holding much of a charge and the AirPods will slowly become unusable. They can't be repaired because they're glued together, they can't be thrown out, or else the lithium-ion battery may start a fire in the garbage compactor. Then they can't easily be recycled. They can't be easily recycled because there's no safe way to separate the lithium-ion battery from the plastic shell. Instead, the AirPods sit in your drawer forever. Kyle Weans, CEO of iFixit, which does electronic teardowns and sell repair tools and parts, told Motherboard that AirPods are, quote, evil, according to the headphones uh, review team at, uh, at artings.com. AirPods are, quote, below average in terms of sound quality. According to the people on every social media platform, AirPods are a display of wealth. But more than a pair of headphones, AirPods are more an unraceable, unerasable product of culture and class. People in working or impoverished economies, economic classes, sorry, are responsible for the life-threatening, exhaustive, violent work of removing their parts from the ground and assembling them. While meanwhile, people in the global upper-class design and purchase AirPods, uh, people in the global upper-class design and purchase AirPods. That's a very weird sentence. That's a clunky sentence, isn't it? So just me from reading it? I don't know. Even if you only own AirPods for a few years, the Earth owns them forever. When you die, your bones will decompose in less than a century, but the plastic shell of the AirPods won't decompose for at least a millennia. Thousands of years into the future, if human life or sentient beings exist on Earth, maybe archaeologists will find AirPods in the forgotten corners of homes. They'll probably wonder why they never they were ever made, 
and why so many people bought them. But we can also ask ourselves those same questions right now. Why did we make technology that will live 18 months, die, and never rot? I, I you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there. You know, there, there's, um, there's more, of, there's plenty more of the article. So a very lengthy column. Uh, if you want to read it and you know be annoyed uh, by by human activity, then go ahead. They'll be in the fifthelementdog.uk. Uh, as always, all the all the article links will be on the show notes uh, on on the fifth element. But let me just put it, you know, to you in my, in my uh, nuanced nutshell. I I hate AirPods. I hate AirPods with a passion. From from so many angles. So you know, firstly, the you know I, I'm not a fan of Apple in general. Just you know, just from their product products, I don't really rate them that highly. But the AirPods are the the worst. They are the worst symbol of of Ponzi. I'm 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 holier than now. I'm higher than you. You know, just attitude. I hate it. I hate it. It's such a symbol of bullshit. I hate it. Um, the I, just for me, just for I, actually, quick story to tell you actually. So. You know, I've moved house recently. You know, it's been it's been about six months since I moved. And before I moved house, I went through a I went through a lot of boxes in my attic, which I called them nostalgia boxes because they were just full of old stuff that you know from from our childhoods, from me and my sister's childhoods. Um, I found several earphones, several earphones, wired earphones from from you know the nineties and two thousands, you know. We all we all had them them plastic clunky things you put in your ear. They never fit properly, and you can hear the outside world, and it's just and it just annoys you to high heaven. They they were the worst. They were the worst. They were the worst iteration of earphone ever. Now, I am not an audiophile in you know in the I'm not I'm not that much of an audiophile, but I do. I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not a full-on audiophile when I'm where I'm buying like three hundred pound cables, but I do like a good quality to my earphones. I do like a good quality, and you know I'll happily pay a good you know, uh, you know above fifty quid for uh, you know for a good decent pair of earphones. AirPods are everything I. AirPods, why 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 would you? Take the take the social aspect out of it, right? Let's just take the social aspect out of this. So you've got a plastic, you've got a plastic, albeit wireless, um, thing in your hand right now. Okay, it's plastic. It won't mold to your ear, unlike what I'm wearing right now, which are earphones with buds uh, with uh, gel buds in them, and they fit perfectly. They f- they fit nice and snug in my ears. I can hear myself perfectly. I can't hear anything. Well, I can't hear everything else. But you know, it's not. It's um, it's not absurd. You know, if I can, t- if I turn the, if I turn the volume up on my if on my on my phone like while listening to music, I can take the world out. You know, I can take cars going past out. I can do that. You can never do that with AirPods. AirPods. I I I I will. And you know, I haven't tried AirPods. AirPods. But I can guarantee that that is how it's going. 
because they're plastic. I tried on those plastic earphones that I had back in the day, and they hurt my ears immediately. I felt my bones stretching, and not in a good way. My bones were being stretched in uh, in a really not not healthy way. So why are AirPods any different? Why are AirPods any different? Just, again, taking out the social aspect of it. We'll bring that back in in a bit. But just, you know, fundamentally, you want to listen to music or podcasts or, or anything on your earphones, right? You want coverage, okay? You don't want to hear what's going on outside. Now, obviously, wireless earphones are beginning to have this ambient mode which is kind of laughable because you're constantly on ambient mode when you're on uh, when you have airpods where you know it's like um you know if you use that feature then you can then it you know kind of gives you the outside world so people so you can have them on and people can talk to you still which you know it's cool but you know you 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 know what you could do take them off you you could take them off <laughs> You could just take them off your ear if, if someone's trying to talk to you. You you could do that, couldn't you? Because I do that. You know, if someone's trying to talk to me and I'm listening to music, I'm like, you know, I'm, I take my earphone and go, huh? Come again? I take my earphone out. You don't need an ambient mode. You can just take your earphone out. So, you know. But fundamentally, you know, just from a build quality, why would you have that? Why would you have a crappy earphone that is poor sound quality, that doesn't fit in your ear perfectly... There's no positives to it. There is no positive positives to it from a functionality perspective. Now we can bring in the social aspect of, you know, twats wearing them just constantly. I see these people now. I see these people just rocking AirPods. And they're just... I saw I saw a dude, right? I saw a dude, I saw a dude uh, while walking the dog. Uh, I think it was yesterday or, or two days ago. And, you know, they were walking to the shop. And, you know, they are about... They're probably just under my age, probably about 18, or, you know, just somewhere around there. And one of them was rocking AirPods. And he was talking to his mate. I'm just like, bro, stop. Stop. You're just telling me you bought... You're basically going... You know what that says to me? When people have AirPods in their ears and they actually have people around them. One, you're a douchebag. That's one. Two, you just... You're telling me that you bought subpar earphones... Just for the clout. You bought earpods. You bought earpods. Airpods. You bought airpods for the hype. You 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 gave into the hype. That's 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 the slightly equivalent of buying a supreme a supreme anything. And even you know even if a, even if you bought supreme shoes right, at least those are shoes. At least so at least you can wear them and they're actually you know shoes you can wear. Imagine them being very terrible shoes, and you couldn't wear them, but you paid five hundred quid just for the hype. That's basically what AirPods are, in my in my in my opinion. That's what they are. They are poor products that are poorly made, and 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 we haven't even gotten to the environmental, just you know, all that aspect. And I won't because you know it said it in the article. But if you if you wear AirPods. I I immediately lose a little bit of respect for you, I I just do because you you clearly don't care about what you're listening to enough to have a good quality earphone. You just rather be part. You just rather be a sheep and get into whatever Apple's doing. 
you know you can you can say oh it's part of the apple ecosystem you know it connects you know it it, it goes with the, it goes with the iphone i got and it compare it, com- it combines with it quickly so does every other bluetooth wireless headset but at least they're trying you're giving me a ple- you're giving me an outdated a, f- a a 15 year outdated design and and just cut the wires off no way in hell no way in hell <clears throat> Excuse me. No way in hell I am wearing a plastic earphone in 2019. There is no way. Just from a functionality perspective, it is wrong. It is just it's stupid. And also just from a cultural perspective, you're a sheep. You're an outright sheep, my guy. <laughs> and you need to bin. And well, you could bin your AirPods, but then again, it's it's, it's gonna it's gonna outlast you. So. <laughs> And there's that, and there's that environmental perspective that I just put on. There you go. That felt good. I felt good. I feel I feel a lot better. Um, I actually might write. <laughs> I actually might write about it. So um, if I do have time to write about it, uh, I might I might give it I might give it a crack. Uh, if I if I ever have time. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd put it on. I put it on digital wax just in case I didn't have time to write it. And uh, yeah, so hope you enjoyed that one. Um, this has been what's good. Another episode gone. As uh, so, well, we're nearly a quarter century in. We are a quarter century in now. So it's twenty six in it. So, yeah, quarter century in. Uh, just keep just keeping on going. Thanks for everyone that listens on a consistent basis. You know, I, I don't I don't get you know, you know, many numbers constantly. You know, just from a um, like on average. But um, yeah, I'd, honestly, if you do listen on a constant basis, I really appreciate you. Honestly, this is um, obviously. You know, don't want to get sentimental, but this is a passion project. Everything I've done, fifth element wise, is passion. Is by out of passion. It's not out of making money. You know, I'm not. I don't do it for that. I'm out here to, you know, just try. I, you know, give my opinion, obviously, because I like to do that. And but I'm also trying to, you know, create conversation, and educate, also. So um, that's 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 kind of that's always that's always the goal. So if you do listen on a basis, I do appreciate you. Um. But yeah, that's the show um, from the Fifth Heaven po- Podcast Network. I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been what's good. I hope you all have a great week. God's a wrap on Friday. Great, gonna get a great special next week. Hopefully, uh, I will see you guys then. Until then, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.